Awesome. You can have a seat. If you would, go ahead and uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 13. Hold your spot there, Acts chapter 13. And uh, let me just say as well that this message is, uh, we're going to look at a lot of Bible passages today. This sounds bad for me to say this, more than what we normally do. <laughs> uh, I mean, we, we always obviously look at Scripture, but today we're going to be moving a lot through Scripture. Uh, the good news is uh, some of you, if you can, try to keep up. Some of you are able to. Others uh, of you, we're going to have it hopefully on the screen. Now, we took a lightning strike this past week during some of the weather, so some of our media stuff is uh, kind of a little wobbly in the process of getting it all buttoned down again, but uh, hopefully you'll be able to keep up on the overhead as well. We're going to look at a lot of passages today as we, as we finish out a series that we started all the way back on Easter called Hero. Now, most of you have been here, unless you're a guest today, most of you have been here for this whole series, at least in and out at different times as you travel through the summer. But the series is called Hero for a reason and not Heroes because it's primarily a series about God. And the premise of the whole series has been that as we've looked at different stories from the Old Testament and the New Testament, different figures really, we've looked at Abraham, we've looked at David, we've looked at Esther. Uh, in the New Testament, we've looked at um, Ananias or, or at um, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. We've looked at others as well through the series. The whole premise has been as we've, as we've unpacked some of their stories, They've all been involved in some type of a victory to some degree, but God is the overarching victory of all of it, right? He is the hero. That's, that's, the, that's the, the thing we've tried to drive home in the series, that in every victory story in the Bible, whether Old Testament or New Testament, God is the ultimate hero. He's the ultimate victor. And a lot of times we miss that. It sounds odd to say that, but a lot of times we miss that. We get caught up in the details of how David took a stone in a sling and he, uh, you know, slung it at Goliath and down goes Goliath and David is the victor. And a lot of times we talk more about David than we do about how God provided victory for his people, right? And sometimes we look at other passages in the scripture where Moses, right, when they're crossing the Red Sea, we make it more about Moses and, you know, in the staff and, uh, and his great leadership than we do about God, who is the ultimate hero of that story. And so in the series, we've been looking about how God is the hero. And I hope for you, you're learning even more than before that as you read through the Bible, when you read these stories of victory, that you see God behind the scenes. He's the one who brings victory, not just in those stories, but in your story too, in your life story as well. He's the ultimate hero. But at the same time, let's flip that coin over in the series. We've also been seeing how that God who is the ultimate hero desires to often show himself as hero through people like you and me. So that when you encounter someone with a need in their life, when you step into someone's chaos, right, maybe things aren't going well in their personal life or maybe some aspect of their professional life or maybe relationally, some, somewhere you cross paths with someone who's going through a, str a struggle, going through a trial. They're in chaos. They're in peril. In a sense, God, who is the ultimate hero, brings rescue to them through people like you and me. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean we've got it all together. It doesn't mean we've got all the answers. It doesn't mean we deserve applause or recognition, right? We're not a hero like that. God's the hero, but he uses people like us to come alongside those who struggle just like we do, right? Oftentimes to bring rescue and to bring uh, some type of a solution to them. And so what we've been looking at has been these different characters through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we've been looking also at different qualities they bring. Hero qualities is what I've been calling them. And so one of those hero qualities has been the need for us to trust God. If you're going to be a hero to somebody else, you've got to trust God, right? It's not about you, it's about him. And the way we saw that quality demonstrated was through the life of David, that David trusted God. He knew the battle wasn't his, he knew the battle was God's, and he trusted God. We've looked at hero qualities like embracing the moment in the life of Esther, that she was one who 
embraced that moment. She knew she'd been put in that place of chaos for such a time as this, and she stepped into it. We've looked at the hero quality of pushing aside fears and excuses. That's what Moses had to do. He had all these excuses when God said, you're the man that's going to lead my people out of slavery. Moses said, I'm not the man, and here's why. And he gave four or five excuses and reasons because he was filled with fear. He wasn't filled with trust, and yet he had to push those aside. We looked at Joshua and how Joshua displayed that heroic quality of courage. We looked in the New Testament at Aquila and Priscilla and how they lived on mission. We looked at Daniel and how he had this quality of honoring God no matter what the cost was going to be. We looked even at the parable of the Good Samaritan and, and how he was selfless. He laid aside his time, his agenda, his finances, and he helped another person who was in need in that story that Jesus told. And so all those are qualities that we've seen that are reflective of a person who's a hero. And man, I just want to remind you that your role as a follower of Jesus is not just to fill a seat or to sit on the sideline and watch the game unfold in everybody else's life. Your role is to be in the game right? It's to be engaged with other people. And oftentimes you will have an opportunity to be that hero to somebody else. And these qualities are going to be essential. So today we finish this series that we started back in Easter. We're going to wind up the series today. This is the finale. We're going to look at maybe outside of Jesus, the most well-known figure in all the New Testament. His name is Paul. He's familiar to many of you. For those of you that he's not so familiar with, maybe you're kind of new to some of this. I'm going to fill in some of those details in a second. But we're going to look at Paul's life and the hero quality that he demonstrated is the quality of perseverance. We're going to look at Paul And the hero quality he demonstrated that is essential for you and me if we're going to be heroes in other people's lives is the quality of perseverance. Now, here's the thing. Perseverance, (laughs) I would say, I have a feeling you'll agree, is somewhat of a lost art today. Perseverance seems to be this fading quality. Our grandparents had perseverance. Our parents kind of had perseverance. Today, perseverance is not as easy to find because we live in in an instant society. Uh, and, it, and it's pervasive. I mean, the lack of perseverance shows in the workplace. It shows in athletics. For example, from the athletic world, uh, there's this thing called the transfer portal. For those of you that follow college athletics at all, there's this thing called the transfer portal. And what you can do is if you're in your school and you're competing athletically, whatever it is as an athlete, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, whatever it may be, if you're not happy there for whatever reason you want to transfer to another school, you can do that without penalty. You can go to another school and the very next year you can play. You don't have to sit out. You don't have to wait your turn. None of those reasons. Well, just this past year, just this year alone in women's college basketball, there were over a thousand players in the transfer portal. And for many of them, they had legitimate reasons, I'm sure. But for most, the vast majority, they went to this school and they said, I'm going to play here and I'm going to be excited about playing here. And over the course of the next year, they just didn't really want to be there anymore. And so they jumped out and they put their name into this thing called the transfer portal. And for whatever reason, probably for most, some legitimate reasons, but for most, They just weren't willing to persevere, right? Perseverance is a lost art. 23%, I learned this this week, I checked this out. 23% of those who make New Year's resolutions, I want to ask you to raise your hand if you made one. 23% of those end after the first week. And I won't ask you to raise your hand if you're one of those 23%. I have been there and I have done that, right? 23%, why do those New Year's resolutions end? Think about the one you made seven months or so ago. Why do those come to an end? A variety of reasons, but usually because of a lack of perseverance. 
relationships often end, whether it's friendships or marriages or extended family relationships, right? A lot of those relationships, sadly, come to, a, to an end, a very difficult, rocky, tumultuous end, right? Because of a lack of perseverance. The lack of perseverance is pervasive in many ways in our culture. In fact, you can even you look at integrity. A lot of times people have lost their integrity and they have to regain their integrity back again to a degree because of a lack of perseverance. They didn't keep true to the boundaries that they once had in their lives. and They let their guard down. They stepped over a boundary that was necessary in their lives. And because they didn't persevere, right, ultimately they lost their integrity. They lost their reputation. I mean, there are so many things that happen whenever we don't demonstrate perseverance. Positive life changes, right? Some of you maybe at different times in your life, I know I surely have, have said, you know what? I'm going to eat better or I'm going to rest more or I'm going to spend more time with my family or I'm going to work less or whatever. And that holds true for a few days or a few weeks or maybe a few months. And then you're kind of back where you were before. Why? Because of a lack of perseverance. We've all been there, right? It, It If there's a a simple principle that I can give you this morning, we'll give you two big ones. The first one is this. It's a no-brainer. We know it. We just often forget it, that perseverance is a necessity in life. It's got to be there. Back in the day for me, when when I used to run, I didn't persevere with my running, right? (laughs) Which explains a lot of this. When I used to run, I had this favorite poster on my, on my wall when I ran, like high school, college, and I had this poster, it was this picture of this guy, kind of imagine this, there's this one guy, this sole runner, he's dressed out, right? he's, he's running, and there's this winding paved road that goes up, and, 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 and as the poster goes higher, right, as you look further in the distance, you see this winding road going up through the hills, and it just goes up and up and up till it disappears, and at the top of the poster, it said, the race is not always to the swift, but to those who keep on running. It's a picture of perseverance, what, what is the definition technically? Let, let me look at the definition here. Look at this. Perseverance is persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. It's persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Now, here's something we need to establish. We need to remind ourselves that when we talk about perseverance, perseverance does not run in the same circles typically as happiness, as enjoyment, right? As in ease. Perseverance doesn't exist in those circles. Perseverance only exists when it holds hands with difficulty, challenge, change, failure, opposition. If you do not have challenge, uh, uh, persecution, opposition, difficulty, hardship, suffering, even sometimes failure. If you don't have one of those things, perseverance is, is not even necessary. The only reason perseverance exists is because of the hard edges of life. It's when you go through one of those instances in your marriage, when you begin to think, man, I did not know it was going to be this hard. A honeymoon was awesome. A premarital preparation, man, hit the bullseye. We had all the answers at that stage. But then we said, I do, and the honeymoon came to an end, 
And we came back and we hit bills and we hit life and we hit hardship and we hit job loss and we hit difficulty. And it seemed like at that point we realized marriage is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And what was not even thought about was the need to persevere at certain places in their marriage. I remember being in this church. Susie and I had been married, I don't know, maybe a year or so. And uh, we were at like a little seminar here, a marriage seminar. This was years ago. We've been married almost 20 years now. And I remember we were, we were kind of like newlyweds, and there was a couple that was in our church that was kind of like in our small group at that time. And they had been married 10 years. It it, they could have said 100. It would have been the same. I thought, 10 years, man. They, they must know everything about marriage. It's a, they probably got it perfected by now, right? Well, when you've been married 10, you look to the 25. And when you've been married 25, you look to the 50. I can almost guarantee you, right? I'm, I'm no, you know, like junior psychologist here, but I can almost guarantee you. But whatever, whatever amount of time of marriage that you think is like, surely they've all got it figured out, whether that's five years, 10, 20, 50, whatever it may be, I can guarantee if you pull somebody out of that, that stage of marriage that's been married that amount of time and ask them, do you still need to apply perseverance? They're going to tell you absolutely yes. It's a necessity persistence in moving through times of hardship, moving through times of change, moving through times of challenge, moving through times of suffering. It's this unwavering commitment to say, I am not throwing in the towel. I am not walking away. I am not falling away. I am not going to turn and run. I am in this thing for the long haul. That's what perseverance is. And it's a necessity in our lives. And it's a necessity to being a hero in someone else's life as well. I think one of the best examples that we're going to see here in Scripture we find in the New Testament in the life of this man named Paul. Paul is probably, as I said earlier, aside from Jesus, the most well-known figure uh, that we read of in the New Testament. Paul was born a Jew. He had a Jewish heritage, but he was also born as a Roman citizen. And so he kind of had this dual thing going on that was beneficial to him. His Jewish heritage was very important to him. His Jewish heritage opened doors for him in ministry later in his life. But also being a Roman citizen was advantageous for him in different ways as well. And so as Paul began to grow, he began to ascend the ranks, so to speak. And by his own admission, he was advancing at a very rapid pace. Most would say he was expected to probably be the leading rabbi of his day. I mean, he was highly trained. A man named Gamaliel, we learn in the New Testament, was the one who trained him. He was advancing. He was growing. He was being well-respected. And, and he had this hatred of Christianity. He was, he was uh, uh, boldly ex uh, um, uh, opposed to Christianity to the point to where he would travel to find Christians to bring them back to be put on trial. Most would agree probably many of them to have executed. He was that opposed to Christianity. That was who Paul was back in the day. Acts chapter 9 gives us this pivot point in Paul's life, this hinge moment where in Acts chapter 9, Paul makes this decision, and it was a no-brainer because he, he sees Jesus there who has appeared to him. This, this is a radical change of life. If you've given your life to Christ, uh, that in itself is radical. The details may be a little different than Paul's life. Paul sees Jesus, and, and Jesus appears to him and says to him, essentially, Paul, I'm not the one that you need to be opposing. I'm your Lord, right? I am the Lord. And Paul embraced him as his Lord that day in Acts chapter 9 and began to follow as the greatest missionary this world has ever seen. 
And as Paul would begin to travel from place to place, his whole ministry became about uh, proclaiming the message of the gospel, uh, leading people to Jesus, planting churches, and moving on to point B to do the same thing, then moving on to point C to do the same thing, then moving on to point D. You get the picture. That was Paul's life. That, that, was, his, that was his call. That was his mission. Now, what I want you to see here, this is where we're going to start moving through some passages of Scripture. What I want you to see is the level of perseverance that was required in Paul's life. Remember, it is a necessity in life. We often think about Paul, the churches he planted, the books that he wrote. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. We don't know who wrote Hebrews from a human perspective. God wrote all of them anyway, but if he wrote Hebrews, then we'll give him 14. But the vast majority of the New Testament... Paul wrote, aside from Luke and Acts, Paul wrote the bulk of it. So let's just jump in here. Acts chapter 13. Let's just move. I'm going to move quickly. Not, not much commentary here through these passages of Scripture. Just get a picture of the perseverance required in Paul's life. Acts chapter 13, verse 50. This is in, a, in an area called Pisidian Antioch. Acts 13, verse 50. It says, but the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city, this is Pisidian Antioch, and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Let's go over one chapter to chapter 14, verse 19. New town now, the town is called Lystra. Acts 14, verse 19. It says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul, meaning they threw rocks at him until he was dead, they thought. They stoned Paul, and they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Let's move on to another city, the city of Philippi, Acts chapter 16, verse 22. Acts chapter 16 Verse 22, we're in Philippi here, and it says, The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them, this is Paul included, to be beaten with rods. Well, let's move on to another city, two chapters later, Acts chapter 18, Acts 18, verse 12. This is in Corinth. It says, but while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. So they bring him essentially to be judged there on the spot. Let's move to the city of Jerusalem. Surely Jerusalem, the centerpiece of Jewish life, would be, uh, would be safe for Paul. Let's go to chapter 21, Acts 21, down to verse 27. I told you I was going to move quickly through these. Acts 21, verse 27. We're in Jerusalem. It says, When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him, Paul, in, in the temple, they began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man, speaking of Paul, who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law in this place. And besides, he's even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was provoked, and the people rushed together. And taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. And while they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Look down to verse 36. For the multitude of the people kept following them, shouting, away with him. I mean, everywhere Paul went, it seemed. This is five different cities, five different towns. This is just five that we see. 
Everywhere Paul went, it seemed, he proclaimed the message of the gospel, the gospel of peace, and yet there was opposition that was waiting for him. And when he proclaimed this, this message, I mean, sometimes his life was at risk. Other times he was actually treated in such a way to where he probably should have died and easily could have died, but God spared his life. And what he would do was, written between the lines there, is that he would get up, he would brush himself off, right, and he would go on to the next town for the same thing. We have no concept of what this must have been like for him because let's just be honest, we have it a much easier probably than what I've just read. Imagine for a moment that you go to work tomorrow and, and you punch in, you know, you clock in and uh, you go to your office or your cubicle or your little area or whatever and you're doing your work and somebody wanders up and says, hey, what'd you do this weekend? You say, well, yesterday I went to church. Well, why do you go to church? Imagine, well, I go to church because I worship God, right? I'm a, I follow Jesus. And imagine they report you to HR, and they come, and they don't give you a pink slip. They give you a pink slip, and they take you outside, and they beat you down, right? Imagine that tomorrow, wherever it is that you work. Memorial, Gulfstream, some local school somewhere. Imagine that's your experience, and they beat you down. And then the next day, the next day, you get up, and you try to go back. Oh, you're not allowed here. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. And so you go on to the next town. Go to Garden City, <laughs> right? And then the next week after that happens again, you know, you go out a little bit further. You know, you start pushing up I-16, you go to Statesboro, then you go to Matter. I mean, just imagine that's your experience. We can't relate to this. And it was all for the gospel. It was all because Paul is preaching a message of rescue and a message of peace. And this, this is the way he's treated. So he summarizes. I see we, we've got some issues going on back there. So this is not the Bible. Um, I'm going to just read straight from it. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11. By the way, we live in an instant society. Don't get all torqued and sideways because we don't have media, right? <laughs> I can't believe I went to that church and their media doesn't even work. I had to use my Bible for crying out loud. All right? It's the way we can be sometimes. Not here, I know. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Paul, it's kind of like to the Corinthian church, Paul gives this little summary. Man, imagine this on your resume. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-four. 24. He's reminding the Corinthians, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. You know why he says 39 lashes? Because when the Jews would beat someone like that, as, um, as, as punishment. They didn't want to exceed what was allowed, that being 40 lashes, so they would go one less to make sure they didn't break the law. Paul says, five times this, this was my treatment, understanding this was for the, because of the gospel. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. We already read about that one. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. This really highlights um, <laughs> Barnabas and Silas, right, when they travel with Paul. Imagine knowing this, and Paul comes to you and says, hey, I need a helper on my next missionary journey. Would you go with me? You're like, wow, thanks for the invite, Paul. This sounds like it's going to be quite the excursion. Where do I sign up? Right. This is what he experienced. Perseverance. The race is not always to the swift 
but to those who keep on running. Paul would say to that same church in Corinth, I didn't come to you with, with, uh, with persuasive words. I came to you in weakness and in trembling. I didn't come to you seemingly, say, he's saying, with, with, with this great speed. I'm not like the fastest runner, but I'm there for the long haul. I persevere. Paul would speak to his to his protege in the faith, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. The things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy, you've heard what all I've said to people. You take that same stuff and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. By the way, that call is still a part of our lives today. That, that This is what it means to make disciples. We take what God's poured into us and we pour it into somebody else. And in so doing, we're like a little hero, right? It's part of it. But look at, look at what Paul says in the next verse, in verse 3. He says, suffer hardship with me. Timothy, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You go down to verse 8 in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. You go a little further, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. He says, but you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, my perseverance. He says this to Timothy. You follow, you've seen me persevere. You followed, verse 11, my persecutions, my sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. Right? We just read some of these. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You say, so Brooks, I mean, I... Yeah, he wrote 13 books in the New Testament. But how does Paul fall into the category of being a hero for us? Well, just imagine for a second, what if somewhere along the way, Paul had said, you know what? Man, I'm done. (laughs) I'm out. What if Paul had said, you know what? I I watched this late night preacher with a slick suit on TV one night when I couldn't sleep at 1 a.m., And that preacher told me that if I follow Jesus, then it's going to be an easy road, that I'm going to have a fat wallet, and every door of opportunity is going to open for me. And I'm only going to experience the best possible life that I can imagine. And what if Paul were to say, that's what I thought following Jesus was all about. And now I go to town after town, and I tell people about him, and I get beat down and left for dead. I am done. What if he'd have said that? There would be countless regions in Asia Minor, that region of the world, that had no gospel presence, some of which still lingers today 2,000 years later. There would be people who would be in hell today because they didn't hear the gospel through him that ultimately gave them a relationship with God and a place in heaven. We wouldn't have a majority of the New Testament And we would have no example of what it means to persevere. That's why he's a hero. Listen, you can be a hero to somebody else, follower of Jesus, just because you stay true. 
that in itself makes you a hero. We've got people in our church right now that have been saved longer than I've been alive. And the mere fact that they have not cut and run, they have not fallen away, they have not walked away, they have not cleaned their hands of all of this, they have walked through dark valleys, deep valleys, difficult times in their life. They have faced hardship, they have faced trial, and yet there are people in this very church that have known Jesus longer than I've been alive and maybe longer than you've been alive, that just the simple fact that they are still here and they're still worshiping Jesus and they're still singing up here on a platform and they're still impacting people through their lives, that in itself, that story of, t- of, of perseverance in itself makes them a hero. And the vast majority of this world will never know them. Nothing they'll ever say will go viral on the internet. They'll never have a book printed. They'll never have a song that will ultimately be you know, uh, put out for, for public use. They'll, they'll, they won't even be known, but they are heroes nonetheless because they have remained faithful. Paul persevered. That's what he did. That's who he was as a follower of Jesus. How could he do that? Well, let's just give a glimpse here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You can follow with me here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen what Paul says, again, to the church in Corinth. He kind of peels back the curtain a little bit, and he helps us to see how he could get up after every beatdown and go to the next town, how it is that he could do this. What was it that made him able to persevere? He knew a secret. He he knew the secret sauce, right? He knew what it was. Here it is, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and verse 9. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed but not despairing. Here it is. We are persecuted but not forsaken. We are persecuted but not forsaken. Paul understood in every hardship and in every suffering and in every trial, he understood that he wasn't there alone. He understood that in the midst of that hardship, in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that opposition, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the rejection, he understood. He had, this, he, he, he had a very clear understanding that the day in Acts chapter 9 when he gave his life to Jesus, that God promised him, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And in the midst of every bit of this hardship, he knew that he was not walking this journey alone. When you know you're not walking the journey alone, it's a lot easier to just pick up, pick up yourself and keep going. It's when you think you've been forsaken and let go of that you begin to walk away, right? Paul understood this. He knew this. But you go a little further down to verse 16 through verse 18 in that same chapter, 2 Corinthians 4. Listen what he says. I told you, we got a lot of verses here. We got like 130 more to go. You're going to miss lunch. I'm just kidding. Hang with me. Verse 16, he says, therefore, we do not lose heart, right? Paul, Do you remember his story? I mean, he got beat everywhere he went. He says, we don't lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction. Well, that's a great way to explain this, Paul. You got got beat down, you got stoned, you got beat with rods, 39 lashes five times. (laughs) He says... For this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, the bruises, the whelps, are temporal. But the things that are not seen are eternal. 
Paul knew he was encouraged, he was not forsaken, he was renewed day by day, and he would be rewarded. And so he persevered. He didn't give up. He didn't walk away. He didn't fall away. He didn't throw in the towel. He kept on running. When we think about being a hero to somebody else, just the fact that you're faithful is a hero quality in itself, your perseverance. But listen, it's not just a matter of doing it once or twice and then you're done. It's not like, imagine vacation Bible school if the only time people served was during vacation Bible school and that was it. We would have no children's ministry. (laughs) The reason we have a children's ministry is because people serve during times like vacation Bible school and the other 51 weeks of the year. That's why we've got kids upstairs right now that are being taught the truths of God's Word and how much God loves them and how much uh, it means to have a relationship with Jesus is because they're volunteers in addition to Jeremy and Amber. They're volunteers that are pouring into them the other 51 weeks of the year. It's not just a one time. It's a long lean, a long lean into serving and obeying and following. It's perseverance. Jason mentioned when he when he baptized, he mentioned a quote from um, uh, the author Peterson. I forget his first name, Peterson. It's in my notes, but I won't dig. He wrote a book about discipleship, an author Peterson. <laughs> he described this book about discipleship by saying that it's a long obedience in the same direction. That's what perseverance is. I'm going to steal that title that he used for discipleship, and I'm going to apply it to perseverance. It's a long obedience in the same direction. I mean, you can probably find reasons to get out of your marriage, but probably what's needed is just to persevere. You could probably find reasons that would satisfy your conscience to walk away from from God, but the best thing to do is just to persevere because those reasons are nothing less than lies. (laughs) He's good, he's perfect, and he loves you, and he's not going anywhere. You can find reasons, I'm sure, to quit impacting others and loving others and serving others. You can find reasons to lay down the call that God's put on your life, whether you happen to draw a paycheck for part of that call, right? because it's also your vocation, you could probably find reasons to walk away, but probably the best thing to do is just persevere because the road's going to get hard no matter what we do and the grass isn't any greener over there. It's a lost art. Paul knew it. Paul applied it. And when we do the same, listen, I'm almost done. There's reward that's there as well. James, the half-brother of Jesus, would write in the second verse of the book that bears his name. James chapter 1, verse 2. He would say, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Remember, perseverance doesn't exist without hardship. 
Consider it joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, that's the hardship, produces endurance, perseverance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's as we persevere that God grows us and matures us spiritually. You look down in verse 12 in that same chapter, James 1. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Paul would even say to the church in Philippi, all the way back in Philippians chapter 3, as he's writing his letter to the Philippian believers. I think I've got Philippians in my Bible. Let me find it here. Philippians chapter 3. I have so many verses I couldn't mark all of them. There's not enough paper in existence uh, to mark all these verses. Philippians chapter 3. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Philippi, verse 13 and verse 14. He says, Brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I haven't arrived, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on right? I persevere. I don't quit. I don't walk away. I don't fall away. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul would say, don't quit. He would say, don't walk away. Don't be distracted. Don't be deterred. Don't be discouraged for long. Just persevere. And even the writer of Hebrews would say as well, in Hebrews chapter 12, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. See, Jesus knows a little something about perseverance as well. Despising the shame has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If you need exhibit, exhibit B of what it means to persevere, look to Paul. But if you want exhibit A, look to Jesus. And by the way, we serve a God who also understands just a little bit of what it means to persevere with us as well. Let me give you two more verses and we're done. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21 says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God perseveres. God doesn't just show a little blessing here and there. He does it day after day after day. The writer of Lamentations would say that, that, that every new morning brings another example of God's faithfulness ultimately. And then Philippians chapter 1 Verse 6, one of my favorite passages of, uh, passages of Scripture. Paul says, For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in Christ Jesus. I was eight, nine years old in my backyard when I gave my life to Christ. I still remember it. You've heard the story enough. You don't need to hear it again, right? Where were you when you gave your life to Jesus? How old were you? It was on that very spot that God started a brand new work in you. And he changed you. And he took your sin away and he replaced it with his righteousness. You became part of his family. You became part, part of his own. He made a commitment to you there that he's never going back on. And what the, the Bible tells us right there in that verse, Philippians 1, verse 6, that he who started started that good work in your salvation, promises he's going to carry it on until the day that he calls you home. He's a God who perseveres. He's a God who is faithful. And no matter what you face today, man, where the enemy is whispering in your ear, just walk away, just give up, just throw in the towel, just quit. Maybe what you need to do is just persevere. Because the race is not always 
to the swift, but to those who keep on running. Man, if you know Jesus, he didn't bring you this far to drop you on a curb (laughs) and say, catch you in heaven. He's going to stay true. And more likely than not, this message probably, I'll be honest, it probably misses most people because most in this room probably have it going pretty well right now. Yeah, the dollar is not what it used to be. (laughs) The times are a little tough in a lot of ways. But we have a home to go to. Maybe even in your home, you've got a separate room for your vehicle even, right? you got a yard and the grass is green because it's been raining 40 days and 40 nights. And, and you're feeling pretty good. you got something to do. You know, this week, you got a job to go to. I mean, for most in here, it's probably pretty good. And when you think about persevering, it's not always that easy. But listen, the day is going to come. The day is going to come when you're going to have to push through and trust the God who brought you here. And for some of you, even today, man, that valley's dark. And it's deep, and you're wondering, I don't know if our marriage is going to be in existence come Christmas. And you're thinking, I don't know why I keep praying for my child. I don't know if they're ever going to come back where they belong. And you're thinking, I don't know how we're going to pay these bills when I just lost my job in this economy. And, And you're thinking, all these dark thoughts, right? And by the way, where is God in the middle of all this? I I thought he was a God who's faithful. He is. He is. Just persevere. And you'll see him. Because he's the hero of every victory story. And he wants to use you to show how he's a hero to others too. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, you're so good to us. Lord, if we were to put Paul on the stand today and say, Paul, is your God good? He would say, absolutely. (laughs) Lord, we don't see anything in Scripture that would make us think that he thought less of you or questioned you or doubted you in the least because of what he went through in his life. Lord, he persevered because he knew he wasn't forsaken. He persevered because he knew you were maturing him through that. He persevered because he knew there was a reward. God, for 2,000 years now, since he was beheaded outside of Rome, Lord, he's experienced that reward. And I think if he, I don't know how all this works in eternity, but if he could look, look down through time since he breathed his last on this earth, I think he would say everything he experienced it was worth it because in a lot of ways we have the, we have the gospel in this nation, because it made, it made the trip across the ocean to a large degree because of his influence. And Lord, we don't always see the difference that it makes when we persevere. But God, you're, you're a God who doesn't quit. And you don't walk away, and the cross proves it. And Lord, yeah, there are certain things in our lives that sometimes maybe we do need to walk away from. But Lord, more often than not, what we need really is we're already in the right place. We just need to persevere. And it's a lot easier when we do that, holding hands with Christ. Some in this room, Lord, have already made that decision, but their faith is weak. Lord, they've been shaken. They've been rattled. And any of us probably would based on what they've gone through. God, just remind them that you have a plan, that they need to persevere. 
Lord, give them joy and give them hope and give them perspective and peace. And Lord, for those in this room that have never given their lives to Jesus, Lord, help them to understand that trusting Christ doesn't mean an easy life. It doesn't mean a life where every dream that we have comes to fruition. Never did you promise us that. But God, you did promise an abundant life that's not dependent on our circumstances, that we can be full and at peace and full of joy no matter what happens around us or even within us. And so God, for those that have never trusted Jesus, may today be the day right where they sit, even right now, God, where they admit their sin to you, Jesus. They thank you for dying on the cross to forgive them and that they accept that forgiveness and ask you, Lord, to forgive and to save and to take over. And thank you, Jesus, that you'll do it. Help us to apply this to our lives, God. We don't pray for hardship, but when it comes, help us to push through. And may you get glory through that. And should we ever be a hero to someone else because of our perseverance, may we be quick to give you the praise because you alone are the ultimate hero of every part of our story. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.